Welcome to Any Given You. This show is about all things college football, and on it you will hear insights, analysis, discussion, predictions, and stories of any given topic from any given time, past, present, or future. We believe that the stats are great, but the stories are greater. And you should listen if you have a passion for the game and what makes it great. We're going to talk about touchdowns and touched lives. Come with us on a journey that extends beyond the field of play. We will talk wins, losses, and coachable moments learned on the football field and taken to the classroom, workforce, home, and even the battlefield. Division one to division none. Five-star recruits to walk-ons, it doesn't matter. If it's college football, it's worth the story. I'm your host, Michael Megan. U.S. Army Ranger and a former college football player, and more importantly, a lifelong fan of all things college football. Whether you are a casual fan, a fanatic, a coach, a player, or just a person who loves great stories, then huddle up and commit at any given you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Any Given You podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael Megan. We have an awesome show for you here today as we are already headed into week three of the 2022 season. It's flying by. I feel like we just kicked college football off, and look at us. We're already a quarter of the way through the regular season pretty much at this point with just some games to be played. We have some action going on tonight. We have some action happening, obviously, all day and into the evening on Saturday. We have a whole bunch of games to talk about. Huge slate as we have a whole mess of plays again this week. We're spraying the board. And we also want to talk about some games that we don't necessarily have any plays on maybe, but you know, I think are interesting competitions and could be good acid tests here moving into week three as teams are beginning to settle a little bit into their rhythm, start to reveal themselves a little bit more, start to show you a, a little bit more definitively what they have going on, what's fixable and what's not as the season progresses. And I think week three and four are very telling about at least the floor of teams. I think we find out what teams' ceilings are in the month of November as teams, you know, continue to progress, but I think you can find a team's floor by the by the time September's over. And so this this for this week for me is more like where is your baseline minimum? What can you do at a bare minimum as a team? So should be interesting to see as we head into this week. Tonight we have some action taking place in Louisville as they say up there as Florida State will take a trip up there to take on the Cardinals, led by Malik Cunningham and a scrappy crew that found a way to get a win in their last outing against UCF at the bounce house. A very tough environment to win in. I believe they handed UCF just their second loss in the bounce house since 2017, which is kind of crazy to think about the, the level of success that the UCF Knights have had at home and Louisville found a way to go in there and get the win. In the first half of that game, as I discussed recapping it, Louisville really looked kind of terrible. I mean, it looked as if UCF was going to be able to really run away with it, and then I felt like they found a little bit of identity in the second half of that football game, at least on the defensive side of the ball. It looks like Louisville's going to be one of those teams that kind of lives by the blitz, dies by the blitz, as they had a lot of bodies around the line of scrimmage, and they do have really good speed off of the edge and from their linebacker positions, and they're not afraid to roll up guys in the secondary, bring down the nickel and blitz as well from the boundary. A team that's you know willing to potentially give up big plays 
you know, to have the opportunity to disrupt and, you know, and really take over the game uh, from the line of scrimmage perspective by bringing more bodies down there. So kind of interesting for Louisville there as they did get that win. And then obviously the thriller in Baton Rouge, Florida State's last game. One thing I do want to point out, this is only Florida State's second game. Remember, they took a bye week after that neutral site action uh, against the LSU Tigers. So Louisville headed into their third competition of the season, Florida State just their second game. And you wonder if the combination of that plus playing at home might make this a little bit trap territory for Florida State. I believe that it is a wholeheartedly, and I have a few reasons for that. Not only did we see you know, Louisville start to develop a little bit of an identity in the second half of that UCF game and start to gel a little bit, play some complimentary football, but also, you know, obviously you can't discount the home environment. I think the extra game really does help a lot. I don't think Louisville was prepared to play football when they took on what is appearing to be a pretty solid Syracuse squad. I think we were just absolutely wrong about that team in preseason. Again, Syracuse had shown us no evidence that they should be even remotely good this year, and they have really been putting it on their uh, their opponents. They have a big matchup with Purdue, by the way, coming into town this weekend, but I digress. We're talking about Louisville. I think they were a little shell-shocked in week one. I think they went in there, as, as we all have talked about, college football doesn't have a preseason. So your first game is really, that's your audition there, if you will. That's, you know, setting the tone for the season. You don't have time to work out those kinks outside of training camp. You certainly don't have a preseason like the NFL does. And I think they, they walked in there, they got a little bit blasted and uh, didn't really find themselves until maybe the end of this UCF game, as I've talked about. Now, I'm expecting Louisville to understand the opportunity that they have here ahead of them. If they were to win this game at home, I think in a lot of ways, not only on the season, but also in league play because it is an ACC opponent, it is an opportunity for them to right the ship a little bit and get a statement win here at home. And I'm expecting the best effort out of this Louisville roster. I don't think that they have to artificially manufacture any kind of motivation for this one. I think that's already latently there with a team like Florida State coming into town. For Florida State, they have a talented front seven of their own with guys like Tatum Bethune and Jared Verse. A lot of speed and athleticism up front for sure, but we did see them struggle quite a bit with a scrambling quarterback when they took on LSU and Jaden Daniels. I can't, for the life of me, I honestly can't remember how many times he seemed to get loose from the jaws of what should have been a, uh, a, an absolute sack or you know tackle for loss or something, and he was able to squirm away and make some big plays with his feet. If that is still a concern for this Florida State squad, this could be a pretty long night up in Louisville with a player like Malik Cunningham who has track-type speed. I mean, he he's not just quick and he's not just agile. He will take it to the house. That guy is a rocket ship when he gets into open field. So it will be interesting to see what kind of defensive adjustments they make. Obviously, Jared Verse playing defensive end for Florida State, I think has enough length and agility and speed to really set the edge, especially if they were to put him on the field side. I just feel like Tatum Bethune or one of their speedy linebackers is pretty much going to have to be in a spiral all night. Uh, and you're going to want to put those guys on opposite ends of the defense because if they both go on one, you're, I think you're leaving a back door for Malik to possibly get loose there. So 
They're going to have to play with a lot of discipline in their rush lanes and make sure that he doesn't get loose and do his thing. Offensively for Florida State, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure what to make coming out of just one sample size game performance. I felt like uh, Jordan Travis did play well in uh in New Orleans, but again, there were some things that it was a little bit up and down performance. I don't think they established the run nearly as well as they might have wanted to. So it might be interesting. This Louisville defense, I think, is going to continue to bring the heat and probably not only blitz in passing situations, but also run blitz to try to create negative plays. And I think if they are able to create negative plays for this Florida State offense and then, you know, a little bit of wizardry by Malik Cunningham, I could see the upset in this one. I do not have an official play on this. I don't even really have a lean. I'm just looking forward to a good game tonight, uh, potentially, but it is very much, in my opinion, trap territory for Florida State in this one. Texas Tech at NC State. I know that's kind of a weird segue. I guess technically there's still an ACC connection there with uh, NC State hosting Texas Tech, but the reason I find this game sort of interesting here is because Texas Tech is coming off of an overtime win against Houston, which, again, in the preseason expectations was supposed to be one of the better group of five programs in the entire country. Houston, in an absolute knife fight, was able to beat UTSA, a team that I actually think is still a pretty good team. And then Texas Tech, they fall to them in an overtime performance next week. The reason I have this game is kind of interesting is because what we saw out of NC State was a little bit of a clunker. By all rights, this team should be one and one. They should have lost to East Carolina uh, there in Dowdy Ficklin. They got out of there with the win by the grace of God and then, you know, had a week to kind of get right, splattering a high school opponent. And now it's time to take on another Power Five opponent. The reason this matchup is interesting to me is because Texas Tech brings an air raid system into Raleigh to take on the Wolfpack. And we saw NC State struggle mightily last year when they took on another air raid team in the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Now, there are some differences between these two squads, obviously. Mississippi State still played a pretty high level of defense. I think their front seven was astronomically better than what you're going to see out of Texas Tech. They really did a good job of bottling up a conservatively played NC State offense while having a challenge enough um, you know, offensive attack of their own to kind of make that game ugly. It'll be interesting to see if the Wolfpack have made adjustments against an air raid system here taking on Texas Tech, what to make of this game. But I really do think that NC State will probably more than likely get the win. I think they'll get the cover that I think is sitting at about 10 points right now. I do think they are absolutely the better team, the deeper team, and they're playing at home. But it'll be interesting to see if they have made adjustments or if they do continue to get torched against uh, attacks sort of like this. Speaking of uh, Mississippi State, just a moment ago, they take a trip to Death Valley to take on the LSU Tigers. We do have a play on this game. Right now, the over-under was set at 53.5. We are taking the over 53.5 in that game as I do feel that this one has the potential for LSU's offense to gel a little bit, maybe put on a better performance than what we saw against Florida State, and then Mississippi State's offense, I think, will also get their points, as LSU uh, is very much a team, in my opinion, defensively, that is set up 
to shut down the run and then get after teams with the front seven that have to take more traditional drop sets, you know, five and seven step drops and, and teams that rely on play action. Mississippi State, an air raid team, again, that's going to get rid of the ball quickly. They use the short passing game as an extension of the run game. You're going to have your linebackers and, and those defensive linemen sort of spread out running all over the field kind of all night. And uh, I think that they have the potential to have a lot of success offensively against this LSU squad. We are also taking Mississippi State to win against LSU in Death Valley on the money line. So it'll be really interesting. I think Mississippi State might take a step towards being kind of legit. I like both of the teams in the state of Mississippi right now. I really do. I think both of them are quite good. And um, I think there's a possibility that your second best team in the SEC West is going to come out of that state. So it might be interesting, a good acid test for this team uh, in uh, Saturday's competition at LSU. Texas versus UTSA. We do not want to touch a winner in this one because there are several things that are (laughs) kind of scaring me off of this one, right? There's some cross-sections of both what we've seen out of both these teams thus far. UTSA coming out of two absolute gut-wrenching performances. Uh, One, the overtime loss against Houston. Another one went to overtime against Army where they did get the win. But that is a lot of snaps. That's a lot of ball to be played. Those, Those were two really tough competitions before having to take a trip to Austin to face the Longhorns. Now, also... Texas coming off of a heartbreaking, gut-wrenching performance, again, hosting Alabama. We have, and the sports world has talked at length about what happened in that one. But I did say that Alabama has a way of taking more than one win off of your schedule. They do have a way of doing that to you. And this Texas squad's a little bit beat up, and particularly at the signal caller position. It looks like Texas might be going with their third string option uh, at quarterback this week. And this is terrible. I mean, that makes me an absolutely horrible college football podcaster. I don't even know who that is. You know, once I got past Quinn Ewers and Hudson Card, I don't even know who the other guy is. So um, Texas's third string quarterback could be getting the start in this game. UTSA, a team, again, from the state of Texas. Everybody loves to take on the Longhorns in the state of Texas. Uh, This is their Super Bowl, man. And right now the line, again, sitting at 13 and a half, or at least it was at 13 and a half when we took the play and put it out on our Facebook group, which if you're not on there, you're not getting these early plays. And now I'm talking about on the podcast, you might be getting it late. So get over the Facebook group and get this stuff because I push this stuff out usually on Tuesday, Wednesday-ish, Thursday at the latest And uh, sometimes these lines move. But when I put it out, it was at 13 and a half uh, in favor of Texas. We're going to take UTSA plus 13 and a half, as I think that this competition has the potential to be another one of those sloppy Texas performances where you're expecting too much of this team, again, off of the sample size of one or two games, and then they kind of become who you thought they were. And UTSA, a team that is very well coached, They are talented. They got a lot of speed. They don't have a ton of depth or anything like that, but it is a proud program that has molded itself into a winner over the last couple of years, and they are absolutely no stranger to tight fights. They really don't flinch. I like that team, and I like them to get the cover at 13 and a half. Meep, meep, give me the roadrunners in that one. 
Next, I want to talk about a really interesting game in BYU versus Oregon. Is there a team in the country that has a tougher schedule than BYU? I mean, they it's insane. It seems like every single week they are taking on, you know, a very, very challenging opponent. They're just coming off of their win against Baylor. They have Oregon on the schedule. They still have Arkansas. They still have Notre Dame. I believe they even I, – I've like their schedule is extremely ambitious, and uh, this week is no – uh, exception to that. Now, what we saw out of BYU when they played against Baylor was a defense that absolutely, and I, already, I talked about it, it's a defense that just moved around and stuck people in the mouth. I really like the speed and physicality on that side of the ball that they're playing with. Offensively down their top two wide receivers, it didn't matter. Jaron Hall was able to get the pass game going. Offensive line looked like it held up against a very stout Baylor defensive front and uh, there were some guys on that in that wide receiver room where their depth kind of shined, and they were able to get that win. Again, a tough win uh, at home against a very game opponent. You know, again, a team in Baylor that I don't think is all that in a bag of potato chips like they were last year, but still a very good and solid program. A program that would beat most programs in the country. So, um, yeah, I I like this BYU team. They take on Oregon. Oregon's a little bit beleaguered. They uh, definitely had a little bit of soul searching to do after their trip to Atlanta. They took on, again, a, you know, a lesser opponent. We're able to have a little get-right game, if you will. We will see if Bo Nix and this offense have hit some kind of rhythm. As the defensive side of the ball, I still think, you know, other than taking on elite talent, is still a very good uh, you know, and talented room for this Duck squad. I think that this one, these two um, opponents are going to be relatively evenly matched, especially with Oregon taking them on in a home environment there at Autzen. So we like BYU plus four. We're not picking a winner in this one, but I, I just feel that this one is going to be a field goal, maybe less determines the winner in this competition. I think this is going to be a very physical competition. We almost like the under in this one, too, because we do like the defensive side of the ball for both, but we didn't make an official play on that uh, just in case, you know, all of a sudden this offense does find some fireworks. But, uh, yeah, take give us BYU plus four in that competition. Penn State takes a trip to Jordan-Hare to take on the Auburn Tigers. The Auburn Tigers, a team that, although undefeated so far this season, has played some really lackluster talent and not looked really great playing it either. Uh, however, this is a tough place to get a win when you're coming from the outside. Jordan-Hare Stadium just has sort of a freaky, mystical energy that just seems to go Auburn's way a lot of times. So it is a very hard place to go in and play, especially if you're unable to dominate the opponent in Auburn right off the bat and really build a substantial lead. If you allow them to kind of hang around, it's one of those teams that finds a way to get fortunate. And we've talked at length before how Auburn seems to be the most lucky program in the country uh, because they do have great talent. And when you do, when you do uh, keep it close, which Auburn has a tendency to do, a couple of athletic plays here or there can be the, dif the difference in the game. Now, I, I did say that Auburn has talent, and they do. They're still 50% above the blue chip ratio, which we've discussed before, which means that more than half of their roster is four or five-star players. However, 
This is one of the most untalented Auburn squads that I think I've seen in a while. And I don't like where the talent is distributed on this roster. Their receiving core, I think, is terrible. I think it's probably the worst in the SEC outside of maybe Vanderbilt and Florida, I would say. I would say those two, those two teams might have worse wide receiver cores than what they've got going on uh, there in Auburn. It's not very good. The quarterback situation may be even worse. And now they're down a starting center on an offensive line that was supposed to be the strength of this team. Tank Bigsby's still going to play. Defensive front seems all right, but I do think that Sean Clifford in this passing attack for Penn State can have success against an Auburn secondary that has lost a lot over the last couple of years. I really like what running back Nick Singleton's bringing to the table for Penn State. I think defensively, Penn State is very good. I think they're going to be a very solid unit this year. You can already see the touch of Manny Diaz on these top-tier defensive recruits that the Nittany Lions have going on there, particularly through the secondary. And again, it was already a weak spot in Auburn football, the passing game. So throwing into that secondary against Penn State, I just don't think they're going to have a lot of success at all. I think this is an easy you know, load the box eight, nine guys for Penn State and dare Auburn to complete a pass. I just don't see it in the cards for them. I think Penn State's offense can have a little bit of success. I do think that this is going to be a bruiser. It will be tighter than it should be because I do count on Penn State to do a couple of Penn State bonehead things. Again, I don't know if James Franklin has washed all the James Franklin off of himself with, you know, uh, tactical decisions during the game. But we will take Penn State over Auburn. And we will lay the points with Penn State as well at minus three. We feel pretty good about that play. Georgia versus South Carolina. They take a trip to Columbia to take on the Cox. I don't know if there's too much to really unpack in this game as, again, South Carolina is a team that is improved, I think, at the quarterback position. But that floor was so low last year that – Spencer Rattler even being an improvement, you know, is still not really played up to the billing of the five-star recruit that everybody was so excited about. I definitely thought that Arkansas's defense being a little bit leaky this season was able to sort of make enough plays that with just a couple of impact players that really derailed uh, South Carolina's day. I'm talking in particular in linebacker Drew Sanders, who is, of course, the Alabama transfer that is now playing there in Fayetteville for the Hogs. He had himself a monster game against the South Carolina offense and kind of really disrupted what they wanted to do offensively. Well, I've got news for you. Georgia has like 11 dudes that are <laughs> that are just as good, if not better, than Drew Sanders, probably better. And uh, that's what your offense is going against this week. It's a whole field full of guys like Drew Sanders. Um, so I just don't see South Carolina's offense having a lot of success this week. I think they're kind of dreadful on that side of the ball. They do have some key injuries defensively as well. They got some guys banged up. I think Stetson Bennett and the, uh, you know, the 12 and 13 personnel looks that they like to do with their tight end room. They're just going to stay on schedule, distribute the ball. Todd Munkin will have something good dialed up for this game. I'm sure. I think they'll try to work on the run game a little bit. And I, I like uh, UGA to get the cover uh, by 23 this week. So we took, we took Georgia minus 23 to get that cover on South Carolina. I think it actually drifted down a little bit from like 25. It was at 24 and a half the other day. We've, 
we've kind of adjusted ourselves. I like it at 23. Um, I think that's very doable for this Georgia squad on a cruise control type win against South Carolina. I, I, I expect this to sort of be like a, a 44, 42, 14 kind of game kind of day. I, like I said, I don't think the Gamecocks have a ton of success offensively. Georgia should roll just fine on offense and get out of there with a relatively uh, easy win, even though it is a tough environment. Um, I just think that the disparity in talent on these two squads and where these two programs are at are just vastly, vastly different. And I just think it's too much of a gap to try to make up there for the Gamecocks. Oklahoma takes a trip to Nebraska as they take on their first Power 5 opponent of the season in the beleaguered Cornhuskers, now having gotten rid of Scott Frost. We did not talk about that on the last episode. Just a quick aside, I just want to say personally that I really feel bad for Scott Frost. I do. I do feel bad for Scott Frost. I do. And it's it's not because I particularly have pity for people that stink at their job. It's just the circumstances in which um, that was his alma mater. You know, that was the place that he played college football. That was the place that he was trying to resurrect as a program. And I know it certainly meant a lot to him on a cellular level. And I, and I know that it meant a lot to a lot of people on a very, very, um, you know, emotional level with him coming back. The people that carried the torch for him for several years now, people that have believed in him, the sea of red always showing up there in Lincoln and showing out for those guys. And it is a little bit heartbreaking when you think about it like that, when you think about it in terms of getting your dream job, your dream situation, something that you believe in and care about so much, and just to utterly fail at it and just kind of just really to the to the point, to the tune where somebody is willing to pay you double to leave immediately, right? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine being so bad at your job that somebody is willing to pay you double your salary to walk out of the fucking door, to literally walk out of the place? That is kind of mind-blowing to me. Um, and, you know, that's got that's really unfortunate for him, and I'm sorry. So, uh, Scott Frost, you know, best of luck in your future endeavors. Now we have an interim head coaching uh, position there in Nebraska. You know, I think Mark Whipple, offensive coordinator, is going to be allowed to kind of free up and do his thing a little bit more. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see which direction this Nebraska program goes in because sometimes getting rid of an embattled head coach in that situation is actually a good thing for the roster. However, I think I have seen – enough of Nebraska to know this season that they are mortally wounded and they have they have things on that roster that are just not going to be fixed. You're not going to be able to fix a lack of speed and athleticism on your defensive front on a leaky defense that, you know, just is not – it's not fit. It's not up to snuff to play at a high level, and we, we saw that. I mean, we saw that in week one against Northwestern, a team that I warned everybody, by the way, is not good, but Nebraska made them look good. And that, that's the kind of level we're dealing with here, right? So Oklahoma goes on to take them on in Lincoln. And to be honest with you, if Oklahoma just simply plays within their game plan, the talent disparity between these two teams will take care of itself. Britt Venables does not need to get too cute. 
I'm taking, we are taking the under 66 on this game. Uh, we don't, we have, we didn't play a winner. I'm definitely leaning super hard to Oklahoma. I just, I didn't feel like playing a winner on the money line on this one, but we'll take the under 66. We're pretty confident Oklahoma is going to win this one. And I think that you could see this turn into a situation where for the first time in a while, Nebraska really gets treated to a level of talent that they're not able to turn into a one score competition. And, um, I could see Oklahoma winning this one like 35, uh, 35, 20, 35, 14, something like that. 35, 17. I could see something in that wheelhouse where Oklahoma gets a win by, you know, 17 to 24 points somewhere in there, maybe even up to 30 points, depending on if uh, Nebraska has a little bit of bad turnover luck or something like that in their own territory. I just think that the Sooners go up there, they get that win. I know a lot of people have been kind of, you know, thinking about, oh, you know, what, what happens if they turn it into a one-possession game again? You know, does Nebraska do what they've done? I just think that in this scenario, in this spot, uh, preparing for an opponent that outclasses you in every position group on the field moving in I just I I don't see it for Nebraska it would be it would be very Oklahoma to go up there and lose this game to the Cornhuskers I mean but I think that that's more of a I honestly think that's more of a Lincoln Riley Oklahoma than a Brent Venables Oklahoma what we've seen out of Oklahoma this year so far is they've done a really good job of playing so much better complementary football. They're doing the little things right in blocking, tackling, communicating. And yeah, they're not splattering the board with a ton of points so far this season. I was actually talking with a good buddy of mine who's an Oklahoma fan the other day, and he's saying, man, we got to get right. We got to put up more points. And I brought to his attention, I said, well, look at how many points Oklahoma has given up this year, right, versus what they used to give up. It, does it does it does it look better if you win sixty six to thirty six or thirty six nothing? I mean, it is the same point disparity, right? It's just I think a lot of Oklahoma fans have gotten so used to seeing these huge offensive numbers that have been put up by the Sooners under Lincoln Riley that now they don't know how to adjust back to the Sooners actually playing some defensive football. I think it's better. I think you're in a better position now and a much more credible position to make a run towards not only a conference championship, but who knows? I mean, if Oklahoma just wins every single week, I don't know how they're out of the playoff picture, so there you go. So I, I, I like what I'm seeing in Norman out of the defensive side of the ball. We'll see if they can if that defense travels to Lincoln and continues the, uh, the, the good stuff, right? USC and Fresno are taking on each other this week. I don't have a play on this game because I am still uh, observing report with USC. I very much am. There have been some things with USC. They've looked really good, but they also have a plus eight turnover margin through their first two games. Now, again, opponents in Rice and Stanford, two teams that we previewed we're not going to be very good this year, and I think they're obviously on a trajectory to satisfy that prediction. Uh, USC, we knew they were going to be talented. We knew they were going to come out with a high-powered offensive set. Like, we know all that. We knew all that. And they did get a lot of turnover luck through the first two games. Now, you might say that that skill in order to create those turnovers and play complimentary and put the ball in the end zone, I I'll give you that for a dollar. That's fine. They played complimentary football off of what was given to them. 52 points of their point total have been scored off of their turnovers, by the way. So off of those extra eight possessions, 
they were able to score 52 points off that. So if you take that off of the board, minus 52 points from everything that they've put up so far, that's their actual uh, honest offensive generation without getting some help from the defense, which is, you know, again, like I said, complimentary football is played that way. You take the ball away, you score with it, and they're doing a good job of that right now. I would like to see them play a competent opponent, and I think they're going to get one this week in Fresno State. Now, Fresno was able to take Oregon State to the wire. Unfortunately, they were unable to get that win as Oregon State punched in the ball on a three seconds left in the game. Again, I, those two squads for Fre Fresno, Oregon State, I think both of those squads are very evenly matched. You saw Oregon State take out Boise State in week one at, uh, at home in Corvallis and look pretty good doing it and look pretty dominant doing it. So I think this will be a very interesting acid test for the strength level of both of these squads in Fresno and in USC to find out if there's some legitimacy there to this squad. I definitely have my eye on them. They can put up points and everything else. I just, I really do want to see them against, you know, like I said, competent, top flight kind of, uh, you know, uh, an opponent at, at that level. So it'd be really interesting to, uh, to check out the Trojans there with Caleb Williams and everybody else in this mercenary squad that seems to be gelling a lot better than the mercenary squad in Lincoln, Nebraska has gelled thus far this season. Um, let's, where do we want to go next? Let's talk about Notre Dame for a minute. Cal comes to town. They go to play uh, Notre Dame in South Bend as Notre Dame has like eight home games or some crazy shit this year. Um, and you would hope that they would go bowling, but off, given off of what we've kind of seen out of this squad this season, I'm not so sure. We are not particularly fond of calling a winner in this one. However, we do like the under 42 in this competition as I think that both of these offenses are pretty dreadful. Both of these defenses are certainly the stronger sides of the ball. Uh, we're going to see a more conservative game play plan called out of both of these squads. I mean, uh, Coach Wilcox for uh, the Cal uh, Golden Bears is a – Justin Wilcox, excuse me, is a guy that – uh, you know, he's going to call a more conservative brand of ball. That's what he is. He's a control the line of scrimmage, run the ball, try to play complimentary golf, play action kind of guy. And then I think Notre Dame out of just necessity at the quarterback position, Tommy Reese is going to be dialing up something more conservative. I hope they have really doubled down on their run game and really tried to get a lot better and more physical up front with their run fits because I don't see the dynamic quarterback and receiver play for Notre Dame this year. I was hoping leaning banking I was I was hoping let's put it that way I, I was hoping that we would see a progression out of those skill positions here for Notre Dame thus far I have not seen it um, so it looks like the formula is going to be try to get more physical try to run the ball some more try to create and scheme opportunities for Michael Mayer to get open and hope to God that you can hit a couple of explosive plays a game that make the difference here. But it's going to be a knife fight from here on out for Notre Dame on this schedule. I really do feel that way. Uh, but we will take the under 42 there for Cal versus Notre Dame. Let's talk about some other stuff where we went around and sprayed the board. Minnesota. Minnesota is going to take on Colorado. They are taking Colorado on at home. Colorado so far this season has pretty much picked up right where they left off for the last couple of years. They are horrendous 
We like the over 47 because I like Minnesota to probably put up 49. I think Minnesota will absolutely beat the brakes off of this team in Colorado, especially at home, as this will be their last opportunity to really make a statement, have a good tune-up game before moving into their Big Ten play. I think Colorado really is that bad. Defensively, I think they're going to have a lot of problems stopping Minnesota, as so far Tanner Morgan and Kirk Shiraka's uh, reunion has gone very well. They still have Mohamed Ibrahim who's running the shit out of the ball. That offensive line seems to be getting a little bit better every single week. And the defensive unit for Minnesota has honestly shown no fall off from what it was doing last season. One of the sneaky good defenses of last year. Well, actually one of the sneaky elite defenses of last year. And they're still playing a very, very high level of defensive ball through a couple of weeks there in Minneapolis. So we'll we'll see what's going on with that one, but I think I like the we like the over 47. We like Minnesota over Colorado on the money line. Ole Miss over Georgia Tech. That's an easy slam dunk for us as Ole Miss is actually again playing some very solid and serious defensive football, which is so refreshing to see out of Ole Miss and Elaine Kiffin team that the defense was pretty dreadful the first two years he was there. Then we saw it sort of stiffen up a little bit, and now I think it's hitting a new form of competency, um, you know, and, and really starting to gel on that side of the ball. Offensively, Ole Miss, I think, is a team that's going to get stronger as the year goes on. I think this is a legit Ole Miss squad. I really don't see that much drop-off so far from what we had last season. I don't see why this can't be a 9- or 10-win team again. Uh, like I said, I like both of these Mississippi teams in the SEC this year. I really do. Both of them are very strong. I believe I took the over on both of their win totals. So, um, yeah, Georgia Tech, I think they're food. They're absolutely food this week. Uh, we're taking Ole Miss, and we're taking Ole Miss to cover at 16.5 to take out the Yellow Jackets, who just don't have a whole lot going on there in the Jeff Collins era. I think it's just a matter of time before there is a coaching change there as well as I think it's going to go from bad to worse for this team, unfortunately. Um, you know, and that, that just kind of sucks. Uh, for Georgia Tech, anyway. I mean, as a Dogs fan, I don't care. I don't care if they never win another game. Um, let's go around the horn a little bit. Let's uh, – Alabama. Alabama, let's talk about that, man. Like, they are the quietest team in the top three right now as uh it seems like as in public perception they're kind of licking their wounds a little bit even though they came out as the winner uh there in austin it was just not alabama like at least not what you've expected out of alabama or the, maybe the expectations are not realistic anymore of a completely invincible unbeatable alabama team like they were in years past you know the the alabama of yesteryear did not commit penalties like period the Alabama of yesteryear you could not run the ball on them you could not move that offensive line they owned the trenches they owned whatever that is they wanted to own as they just gently kicked your ass for four straight quarters even the third team guys dunking on you this Alabama team is not the same anymore this is this is a time that we're entering where the talent pool has gotten stretched out across some different programs a little bit. Uh, some of these programs have closed the gap in disparity a little bit. And Alabama is still a very high-level team. They are still 
capable of winning a championship. I've said it, and I'm going to continue to say that because I don't want people getting it twisted, what I'm saying here. But what I am saying is Alabama is beatable, and they know they're beatable. And that's why this week when they take on ULM, ULM is going to get the upset. I... (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm playing, dude. No, Alabama over ULM. Alabama by 49. We have it right here. Now, normally we don't like to touch 50-point spreads. Well, this isn't a 50-point spread. This is 49. So we will take Alabama minus 49 because we like pissed-off Alabama. We like pissed-off Nick Saban to get right against the far inferior competition coming off of that embarrassing and honestly, it, it, you know, you never want to apologize for a win, right? You, you, you don't in the, in the game, especially as a, as a coach, right? You don't want to take that away from your guys who did, at the end of the day, come out as the winner. But I'm telling you, I really would not want to be a fly on the wall during that film session and during the week of preparation that Alabama, I'm sure, has put themselves through. Uh, you know, at the behest of Coach Saban there. I think that horns down thing that Alabama was doing at the end of the game and Austin really pissed him off uh, because he is a class guy at the end of the day and act like you've been there before kind of guy, kind of walk around like nothing's phasing you kind of guy. He is an anti-rat poison kind of guy. And that was his rat poison as it got right there. And I think it was a real... I think it was a real marker for this quote-unquote player-led team. Maybe maybe old Papa Nick needs to take the reins back a little bit and show these guys how to prepare themselves you know, in a professional manner as if they have been there before. So I think that that's what has been happening in Tuscaloosa this week. I think they've been all about the business. I think they are ready to go out there and hang up a 50-plus burger on ULM and not let them in the end zone at all. So at minus 49, we will take – Alabama not only to win the game obviously but we'll take them to cover that and then similarly Michigan the Michigan Wolverines right now I don't know if you have watched any Michigan football this year now they have played absolutely nobody but they have looked really really good and really efficient playing absolutely nobody and they have gone to a new level with J.J. McCarthy now as the full-time starter there in Ann Arbor when he came into the game, I felt like the offense started to hit a new gear. Uh, and I think that that's the version of Michigan you're going to see from here on out uh, moving to the rest of the season. Now, defensively, they're still very, very good. They're still extremely stout, even with losing the guys that they lost from last year. And, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, David Jabo, and Daxton Hill. We've talked at length about the guys they've lost. But the guys that they have back, man – it's not exactly a star-studded defensive unit, but they play really well together. It's almost like that no-name defense of the 70s uh, that just really plays well as a unit. You know, no no stars in particular, but they gel. And so not a lot of drop-off there. I think some really good progression from this offensive attack. It's not your dad's Michigan coming out in unbalanced lines and 12 and 13 personnel and running it in a cloud of dust and three yards and banging their head against a brick wall until either the skull cracks or the brick cracks. It's Michigan able to take a more balanced approach. Michigan even to uh, have the ability to lean more on the passing game to open up the run game. This is a good Michigan team. This is a team that you need to take seriously, especially if you're in Columbus, Ohio, 
And again, your, you know, Ohio State pompousness and sensibilities just absolutely make you refuse to take them seriously. This is a team you need to watch out for. Now, we're going to take them over UConn because although Jim Mora appeared to have UConn as a scrappier outfit uh, than what we saw out of them for the last couple of years, it's still UConn. They're still in a multi-multi-year rebuild there if they're ever going to rebuild anything. They're one of the worst teams in all of FBS. Michigan, one of the best teams in all of FBS. So we like the Wolverines to win at minus 45 and crush little UConn there in this contest this weekend. Kansas takes a trip to Houston. Okay, look, we very nearly took Kansas at West Virginia last week because they have really shown something under Lance Leopold, and that is they are playing competent football. They are playing competent and complementary football. They are focusing on uh, taking over the run game. They don't make a lot of silly mistakes like you used to see Kansas do. The thing about Kansas was not only were they untalented, they were also undisciplined and not well coached. That the, at least two of those three things have been remedied. They have obviously a higher level of understanding for the game. You can see the marks of how well coached they are right now, how they execute. And Lance Leopold's doing a great job there with the Jayhawks. I mean, really, I think that if he coaches this team to five plus wins this year, four, five, even six, I mean, if Kansas goes bowling, I mean, Kansas better break out the checkbook because I think Lance Leopold is going to be hot on that uh, coaching carousel there. I mean, Nebraska, you might want to keep an eye out for him, by the way. Like, Nebraska faithful, you might want to keep an eye out for this guy. Uh, remember, I've talked about him before. Six-time national champion at the Division three level, built Buffalo into a – Mac contending program out of basically nothing. And it looks like his same blueprint is beginning to work and take effect at Kansas as they come off of that very impressive win on the road in Morgantown. And yes, it is impressive. I've talked about the Mountaineers not being very good. I understand that. Kansas went on the road. This is Kansas we're talking about. They went on the road and beat West Virginia on the road as a sizable underdog. So um, this week... We're taking them. We are rock chalk Jayhawk, baby. We are taking Kansas versus Houston, Kansas plus nine. Now, we're not taking them as the money line winner. Um, we're not picking a winner in this one, but I like Kansas to get the cover at plus nine. Absolutely. I think that they will hang tough with Houston. I think they have an extremely good chance of beating Houston. I think they do. So I this, this to me is field goal or less, or certainly touchdown or less territory. Um, with a chance for Kansas to pull the upset. And if they do against Houston, man, I'm telling you, Lance Leopold is probably not going to be in Lawrence Kansas very long. Let's get some, through some quick games before we uh, finish with the one I, I want to talk about here uh, as the big matchup uh, looming in College Station, right, between Miami and Texas A&M. But let's, let's talk about some other plays we have real quick. Rutgers over Temple. Rutgers favored by 16. We took that. Coastal over Buffalo. Coastal at uh, minus 14 will lay the points with Coastal Carolina. Also, a decent play for this one might be the over as well. Check your, uh, your over-unders on this one if you're going to lay a play on that one. Uh, as Coastal's defense is a little bit leaky, I think Buffalo can score, but I certainly like that Coastal Carolina offense to score as well. 
South Alabama versus UCLA. We did not call a winner in this one. South Alabama is actually pretty damn good, folks. Like, they went up and beat what I consider to be a pretty good MAC squad in Central Michigan, and they beat them convincingly. They beat them on both sides of the ball in the trenches. They did a really good job bottling up the run. That's obviously something that UCLA likes to hang their hat on. Is that run game with Zach Charbonnet? It allows DTR to go play action, and they like to run – you know, kind of the read option and, and spread option con concepts there as well. I like South Alabama defensively, what they're able to bring to the table. And at UCLA plus 16 and a half, I think this is certainly the best team that they've faced thus far this season. We know that Pac-12 teams do struggle with teams from the South that play physically. So, um, you know, I just kind of have a gut feeling on this one. So we, we liked South Alabama plus 16 and a half. We, I, I don't think they're going to get the win, but I think they can cover it plus 16 and a half. Marshall over Bowling Green. We saw what Marshall was able to bring to the table against Notre Dame. I think they're a legitimately good Sunbelt squad. I think Bowling Green is legitimately bad, um, even though they had all that returning production that people want to talk about. I mean, they, they returned a bunch of crap. So, um, yeah, Marshall over Bowling Green at 16 and a half. We laid the points. We took Marshall on the money line with the points. And then Utah over San Diego State. Utah favored by 21. We like it. We're going to take Utah and the points as Utah is, again, very much in the hunt for a Pac-12 crown. And with just one loss to an SEC team on their schedule, if Florida is able to bounce back and at least, you know, maybe become a bowl team, bowl team plus, the I think the Utes still have an argument if they were to win out at a possible spot in the college football playoff, depending on how some other dominoes fall. So they have a lot to continue to play for. I think they need to make a statement win against San Diego State. I think they will. I think that was a very, very pissed off Utah Ute squad, understanding that they were the better team in the swamp and they just didn't find a way to get it done. And oh, by the way, I think this is a little bit of a down year for the Mountain West. I really do. Uh, Utah State has not looked good. Uh, Boise has not looked like their former selves. San Diego State I don't think is very good this year either. Hawaii is absolutely horrendously bad. Air Force and Fresno I think are kind of your two best-looking squads right now. And, you know, I mean, Fresno did just lose to Oregon State and in all likelihood is probably going to lose the USC as well. So, um, you know, I think it's a little bit of a down year for the Mountain West. In, uh, in other years, I might be sweating this cover a little bit more, but I really like Utah to beat San Diego State by three touchdowns easily, so we will make that play. Miami takes a trip to Kyle Field to take on the embattled Texas A&M Aggies, who are 1-1 one one after taking on Sam Houston State, the FCS national champions from a couple of years ago. They beat them 31 to nothing in like a six-hour football game because of the rain delays and everything else. And I thought that maybe that was the case for why they didn't really blow the doors off of Sam Houston State. And then lo and behold, Appalachian State comes to town after their bitter defeat at the hands of UNC at home, and they hand the Aggies a loss and Texas A&M looks absolutely horrendous on the offensive side of the ball. The snap count completely out of whack. 83 defensive snaps for Texas A&M to just 38 on offense. They literally took the numbers and flipped them. Um, 
Haynes King looked completely ineffective as he only threw for 97 yards on the day. They didn't run the ball well. They didn't do anything well. And I am glad that I was not in College State, minus minus missing my family. I'm glad I wasn't in College Station for that one because that was pretty embarrassing. That was embarrassing by proxy, and I haven't even put my feet on the campus yet to start my first day of work. Um, Miami. Miami has cruised to a 2 win uh, record on their schedule now, you know, 2-0. They blasted Bethune-Cookman, who we expected they would do that to. And then they played a Southern Miss team that was a little scrappier than expected. Now, they did handle them in the second half. They did get the win 30-7. to They got out of there on the day. Um, but what to make of this Miami team? The thing about Miami is, and I don't want to rush to excitement again with the Hurricanes, right? Every year, it seems, for the past several years, they have had a big game on their schedule. They've had a big spot where they have looked good prior to getting there. And we have gotten pretty excited about the Canes and the, uh, the possibility of what they could be bringing to the table. And then they just straight up play like ass. They go out there and they lay a freaking egg every time. And so I don't want to get duped again by sitting here and going, oh, I like Miami. But also the empirical evidence would suggest that there's no way Texas A&M wins this game. I mean, offensively, the scheme is not there, and it's too late to make tweaks and change that, right? Uh, The physicality was not there up front against an App State team that I certainly think that Miami's at least as physical as Appalachian State is up front. I mean, at least with the, the talent they have, you would think, right? Um, so they're not establishing the run well. The passing game is not there. The skill players have not gelled. The quarterback position is, yeah, you know. I, now, they did, they did announce that Max Johnson would be getting the start this week. I do believe that that is an upgrade at the quarterback position. In fact, prior to them making the announcement that Haynes King had won the quarterback battle coming into this season, I was projecting Max Johnson as the starter. I really thought that that was his job to, you know, that to lose. I was shocked, actually, when I heard Haynes King was going to be taking the reins there uh, in uh, College Station. Again, that was short-lived because of the turnover ratio was not very good. The accuracy was horrible. I don't think that he was a very good quarterback Personally, I just don't think that he's there yet. I'm not saying that he couldn't be. I'm just saying I think Max Johnson, even as a freshman, what he was able to do at LSU was so much higher of a ceiling, in my opinion, than what you're getting out of Haynes King, at least right now. So that, to me, is a bright spot for them offensively. But 83, I already talked about it a second ago, 83 snaps on defense. That defense was on the field all weekend. Okay, I know it was one game. I swear to God, they were on the field for like a significant percentage of Saturday of the day, like in in general. It makes me wonder if they're recovered. It makes me wonder if they're ready for another grinder slugfest, which I am really anticipating in this game. Because, again, I think Miami's defense is good enough to limit what Texas A&M really wants to do. I don't know how Jimbo is going to adjust. I think Max Johnson is a better option at quarterback, but time will tell. And then defensively, you know, I do feel like they're going to have to defend a lot of possessions because I, I just don't, like I said, I don't know how many drives that offense is going to sustain. 
For Mario Cristobal and crew, this is without a doubt the best defensive unit that they have faced all year. I mean, without a doubt, within terms of speed and talent and physicality and all that other stuff. I wonder if the Aggies rotate some of these really highly rated five-star players, although young, into the rotation, start pumping this youth movement onto the field. I've, I've, I mean, honestly, I don't see why not. I mean, I don't think it could hurt any worse than losing to App State. So um, I wonder if you do see some of these young faces and young bodies on the field, especially from a depth perspective, if some of these defensive players are not terribly fresh for this competition. We've also seen Mario Cristobal from Miami call big games in a little bit of a conservative way, which gets to our play here. Because I think Texas A&M's defense is going to play at least a competent level of defense, and the same for Miami, and because I think both of these coaches are going to be a little bit conservative waiting for the other squad to make a mistake and maybe capitalize because this is a huge game for both of these squads, I like the under 45 and a half. I also like the setting there in Kyle Field to give Miami some problems. I'm talking about some false starts. I'm talking about some delay of games. It is going to be a really tough environment for Miami to go in there and manage all of that, especially if it is a close game and a tight fight well into the second half. So we do like the under 45 and a half. If I had to lean in a direction right now, I'm leaning Texas A&M, but I'm not making an official play. I'm, I certainly wouldn't tell anybody to lock it up. But as the week has gone on, I have liked Texas A&M in wounded animal mode at home against the Miami team that quite frankly just seems to disappoint in these big spots, and that's their MO. If they do not, and they go out there and they get themselves what I would still consider a quality win and a tough test on the road under the Mario Cristobal era here, and he, he's able to put that feather in his cap early, then I think you're already seeing a higher level of coaching and a higher level of product out of Miami than you have seen in a long time. And that is probably your coach, uh, you know, for the future uh, off of that. Now, I'm not saying if they go out there and they lose, Mario's not that. But to me, I will be impressed. I will be impressed with Miami if they're able to weather that storm, go out there and get that win. But the under 45 and a half is what we feel best about. And that is it for this episode. We certainly, certainly appreciate you spending some time with us here in our week three preview. We sprayed the shit out of that board. I'm not going to do the final recap of everything we talked about. But uh, again, we, we have a lot of plays on the table, a lot of really awesome, exciting action for this week three slate. And we are just so excited to watch these games along with y'all. And of course, we will talk about it in the week three response episode that will come out next week. And remember, if you've enjoyed the content here today, let your friends know about the podcast. They can find us on Apple Pods, Google Pods, anywhere where they get their podcasts. If you yourself are a uh, regular listener of the podcast and you have not yet gone over and given us a rating or review on Apple Pods or Spotify, please do us a favor and do that. We certainly would appreciate five-star review if you really think so, uh, or a five-star rating rather, and write us, write us a quick review. Let us know how we're doing. And like I said, share it with your friends. Tell them about the Facebook group as well, as we have a lot of fun over there, and they can also follow us on the Instagram if they are part of the young crowd, if you will, uh, at any given you is the handle. 
And remember this, any given time, any given place, any given team, you'll get it here at any given you.